0: What does a garden in the cradle of civilization have to do with your morning commute, your monthly bills, or your next cup of coffee? What do prophets, kings, and poets share with accountants, parents, and teachers? How do thousands of years of ancient history shape what happens in your life today? What if there was a bigger story? A story that's been in motion since before time began. A story that made it all make sense. One resounding message, thoughtfully shaped by a loving author. Here, narrative, poetry, and personal letters converge. Crafted to form a consistent theme that God's incredible love for broken and lost humanity. Like a thread woven across centuries, this story bridges cultures, spans continents, and connects people back to a God who loves them. It's simple enough to be understood by shepherds, bold enough to bring kings to their knees, soft enough to invite us in And strong enough to change our lives. This story is written for you. This is The Whole Story.
1: The Whole Story. Over the next 13 weeks um, until the end of May, we're going to be doing The Whole Story. And so it is my job and our attempt to fit the entirety of Scripture within 13 weeks. Okay, that's not going to happen. So, um, what we what we want to do over the next weeks is we we want we want the 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 whole picture, the big story, to be known. You know, when I was, I don't know if you know this about me, but I love to tell jokes. Like I and I like to tell really bad jokes. Um, so if you have ever seen these like dad jokes on TV, these are my kind of or on on YouTube, these are my kind of jokes. I love bad jokes, and I used to tell these jokes that were very very long. And there's multiple versions of this. If you ever want to hear any of these, feel free to come down, talk to me, set an appointment. They're very, very long jokes. And at the end of these very, very long jo- jokes, as they come to the punchline, I don't know if you've ever heard these jokes. And when they come to the punchline, all of a sudden the main character dies. The story's over. And everyone goes, are you kidding me, right? I listen for 10 minutes to you tell the story, and then there's no punchline, right? It's just very frustrating. It was fun for me because I like to make people frustrated, I guess. And so so the the problem, I think, that we have sometimes with Scripture is it's, it's a pretty huge book, correct? It's written over about 1,600 years. It's written in forms of narrative it's written in forms of poetry it's written in forms of historical books it's written in forms of personal letters which by the way all of these we read a bit differently and we 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 look at differently to pull truths of them out sometimes like in a poetry we say something very negative to 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 kind of compound the positive, right? And there's these different things that happen. And then in the midst of this, we have a lot of characters. I don't know if you've attempted to read through the Bible, but sometimes the characters and the people in the stories can get a little bit muddied, like Cain, Abel, Matthew, Mark, Paul, Abraham, like where do all of these people fit? What's the story? Where do they fit in the progression of this bigger thing? Is I don't know if any of you have ever gotten confused with any of these things, but the whole story, it's a, bit, it's a bit complex. And so what we hope to do over the next 13 weeks is take this very complex story and give you maybe like this. This is how you'd say it. The, the edges of the puzzle piece that will help you better fill in the gaps to the whole story, to the whole puzzle that you might even have in your head. And so, so what we need, and we believe this, is we need um, we, we need a, a better picture of the scope of God and his work in humanity. And that's what we hope to do in this series. And so as we, as we go through this, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through creation, right, today. Um, we're going to do that partially today and I think partially next week. Creation, fall, the brokenness of where man rebelled against God. And then we kind of move through these stories from Cain and Abel to Babel to the descendants. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph, and then four hundred years of captivity, and and then the Exodus out of Israel, and then they wander in the wilderness. And then after they wander in the wilderness, they're there comes this conquerors where they take lands because they disobey God. Then they are given the lands and the generations that were before them go into the lands and then they form judges because they see all these people with, that have these forms of government. And they said, hey God, can't we be like these others? And God's like, eh, it's not really my way for you. But they have judges and you see the sin cycle go over and over in the judges. And then They go into kings, and the kings, they they rule and they reign. David, probably the most famous of all those kings that we know, and then Solomon, the wise one, who was wise yet a fool in many ways. And and Solomon comes and reigns, and then there's a divided kingdom, and then there's prophets, and then there's silence. And then Jesus comes born of a virgin, walks on this earth. The whole Old Testament was screaming, something's broken, something's not right. We need a savior. We need to be restored back to God. And then he comes. God's promised one comes and he's born and he lives the incarnation. Jesus comes, he's crucified, he's buried, he rises from the dead. He commissions his disciples. He sits down on high. They begin this great work of the church in, in today, right? From then till today, it's still happening. This great work of his church And in Revelation, we see a promise that Jesus will return and set all things right. The big story. So what we're going to do is go a little bit deeper into each of those sections that I just proclaimed. Some of you are like, well, I'm done. You already did it, so we're good. Uh, That's the big, big, big picture of it. But I I would be remiss as we kind of enter into this, and we're going to be reading in, in a little bit Genesis 1, 26 through 31, But before we do, there's some kind of front to this series that I want to keep kind of pushing into. See, there's a thread that as we pull it through all of this bigger story, there's a thread of of Jesus, of our Savior, the one who God promised he would send to restore us right with God. And even today, as we look at this text, what we'll see is that Jesus himself was in the midst of creation, the way that God intended things to be, the way that God set things to, to be for our good and his glory, Jesus was in the midst of this. And he's through the whole thing. And so a unique thread that we will, we will be looking at as we go through this is the unique thread of Jesus through the whole story of God. Now, for this and in this, what we've, we had happen, and we see this even in the book of 1 John, we have happening in our day, is there's this thing called revisionist history. Now, Revisionist history looks like, works like this. Is there are certain things, like big things. I don't know if you know this, but there are some people that today, it's kind of this growing popular thing that says, special groups say, Holocaust never happened. Right? They want to revise history to say or speak something else. <clears throat> the civil rights movement, people try to revise it to say something different. And we can go all the way back through history, and this has always been a thing, is we want to revise history to say something that we desire to say that kind of helps our slant, that helps our view. Revisionist history has always been a thing, probably will always be a thing. But a thing especially with in the book of First John is basically written to this kind of revisionist history, which First John was saying, hey, Jesus came. We saw him, we touched him, we held him. He was there in the flesh. We saw him crucified. We saw him risen from the dead. This really happened. But by this, one of the things that is critical, I don't know, were were any of you there when God created the world? Was anyone you know there? No. It was, were any of you there when, you know, this historical event or that, that kind of gets conjured up in these things. And so with this, there's this thing in scripture that's called faith. And it's by faith, and for me, it's by, by evidence of the whole story kept for us in this book, preserved over time in history, that tells us, from God himself, how he set things to be, how he made us to live under his authority, and how he created us in the day-to-day of life to live under his authority, under his mighty hand, and maybe most importantly, for his glory. And so in this bigger story that God is unveiling for us, there's a triune God, a promised one, a perfect sacrifice. Now, revisionist history is going to try to explain away creation. We're going to try to explain away other facets of this book. But for me, just so you know, and I think I'm with a cloud of witnesses in this room, I choose to believe this book in its entirety, in its whole, that it is without error, that it has nothing that needs revised, that God has perfectly given it to us and every, every bit of it is from him. And it is not for me to impose myself upon this book, for, but it is for this book to be imposed upon my own life. God's word is perfect and it is true and it is profitable for each of us to come underneath the weight of its authority. And by faith... I believe this to be true, and just so you know, any position you take is by faith, and for me, I'm going to put my faith in God, and put my faith in what he has revealed himself to me through this book. So we live in a day <clears throat> that um, is unprecedentedly challenging. Does any, do anybody get like news feeds on your phone? Raise your hand. you get news feeds on your phone that come in, and some of you are like, no, I'm done with the news. I hate it, Right? But but these news feeds that come in, right? They they can almost just like take the wind out of your sails, like, moment by moment of life. And not, not only the news, right? But but also the the things that happened. Many of you know this, but one of one of my like one of, one of my favorite people at North Canton Chapel passed away this week. Ed McFeeters. When I got the phone call on Monday, it was like I got punched in the stomach. I couldn't believe it. 49 years old, the head is gone. These moments in life from whatever it's, whether it's a mass school shooting or people in our lives or, or, or this event or that event or this person said this, there's these, there's these things in life that just hit you hard. I mean, has anybody had that stuff hit them hard? I mean, just this week, it's week to week. And for those of us who Connected to Ed, you felt that. See, but a, a biblical worldview, a, seeing the world through the lens of the scripture, it really helps us in light of all of the events of the day-to-day, of all the tragedies that are coming our way that we don't even know that are coming yet, right? We don't, we don't know what the week has. We don't know what tomorrow has to hold. There's, there's a worldview, right? A worldview is this, a mental atlas that guides people in any culture through every life situation. Each of us have one. So a worldview is a lens in which you see the world through. Each of us in this room have it, and it's shaped in some form or fashion, possibly by life experience, by other kinds of things. It, our, our worldview is always shaped by something. But, but I believe what God wants us to have, and another reason for this whole story, is is a biblical worldview. See, the Bible is what shapes, can shape our worldview. And in turn, we can then see the world through the lens of the Bible rather than our own conscience or our own systems. Our own systems, our society has adopted or our life has caused us to believe. We choose to believe to see the world through a biblical worldview. So, A biblical worldview leads us to conclusions, our cultural, now, but, but our cultural worldview says these things. So in our culture, America, we, we have a worldview that says individualism is the most important thing. Your rights, your wants, your desires are yours, and no one, no one, no one should hinder you from your rights, your desires, your wants, right? Right? I mean, this basic. Anybody agree with me on this? This is what our culture says. Now, there's real problems with that because our rights then begin to impede on one another, don't they? And so your right was this. Well, that imposed on my right. And so now we have this major problem with this worldview because it actually just constantly, we just butt heads within this. See, a biblical worldview says that actually we're not individuals in that perfect sense. That's not like the core value. It's actually a community. And we'll see it all the way through scripture is that God really values community. And he values a people who come together as one. And that in this greater community, that he is expressed through this. And it's not actually as much about you as it is the whole of the greater good. And your place and your part in this whole of the greater good directed by him. And you are not the epicenter of that, but God in his glory is the very epicenter of that community. So as individuals, we embrace, right? Scripture calls to embrace this living life for the glory of God in community with one another. Another, everyone's equal, right? Everyone's equal. Everyone has an equal say. Everyone has equal rights. Everyone has equal views. Now, I agree with this. I think everyone should have equal rights, right? I think everyone should have these things. But We'll play it out like this. Now, 18-year-old, I'm really sorry for what I'm about to say. I think you're awesome. I think you're wonderful. I think you have a ton to offer society, right? So can I say that up front? But I think a 60-year-old has a little bit more to offer society than you do. I don't think age is equal. I think that the Bible says that older people have something to give younger people. So we have a problem in our culture. Older people say, I'm done. I don't need to do anything else. Leave me alone. I'm going to go to the side. And younger people say, I know everything. I don't need you. Right? And I might have done that myself. I don't know. So we have a problem, don't we? We have sidelines and we have front lines. And we need to do this together. Anybody young in the room that would love to have an older person in their life help them out? Anybody? Just raise your hand. Younger person love to have an older person. Is there an older person in this room that would love to invest in a younger person? Just raise your hand if you'd love to do that. Right? Oh my goodness, this thing is actually, there's this thing that we want, but we don't communicate towards. And so what we have happen in our culture is this kind of idea of equality. We, we actually don't value ages because everybody's the same. 13 is the same as 60, and it's not. It's not. Now, equal in rights, equal in like, love and care and dignity, absolutely. But equality in, what we, equality in what we have to offer, no, not really. Actually, somebody can offer more than someone else. Is that okay to say? Sounds super politically incorrect. But there are people that have more to offer than others. But, again, age doesn't always mean you have a ton to offer, nor does youth. Right? you right. with me, okay. Other things. In the the Bible, what what will the Bible call us to? Well, it's actually submission, not equality, but submission. It says that we actually all work in a complementary way with one another, male and female, old and young. That together in community, that there's this way in which we all submit underneath the divine authority of our God, and we find our place in the kingdom, and we find our place with one another. And that that equality really isn't the the idea, but being complementary and submitting to God and submitting to one another is this bigger ethic of God through the scriptures. Anybody with me? Read your Bible? Do you agree with this? Say amen. Say, I can get down with that. Right on. Preach on, preacher. All right. I want somebody to say that. I was in the seminary one class one time, and a, a guy said, he, he leaned back in his chair all the time, and he'd go, lean on it, right? And I just want to lean on it. It's so, the truth I can lean on. All right. So, so individualism versus community, equality versus submission. In our society, what we value most, this is like another look, worldview, is we really value things, don't we? We love stuff. And the reality is, is... That's all of us in this room. Our culture pushes it on us so hard, we don't even know how much we love stuff. Like, I don't know how many times, like, I love my phone and I hate it, right? I want to smash it with a hammer and then I just pick it up because I got to look at it. Anybody with me? Nobody? Okay. Right? There's these things. We love stuff. We do this with our kids all the time, like when they argue over stuff, right? Our kids love stuff. And they love their stuff, and they don't like people touching their stuff. Sorry, sorry, adults, this is not just kids. You don't either, right? Don't touch my stuff. I don't like you touching my stuff because we really value it. And so we say this. I, my wife's really good. She's like the best parent in our house. And she says things, she says things like, hey, just so you know, I'm taking this away from you because people are more valuable than things. And if you're going to fight over things, we're going to take that away until you value people more, right? That's pretty good parenting, huh? Take notes from her. And so, <laughs> so, so this is true that we, we do, and, and we'll, I've seen it over and over in the church where I want my stuff, I want my way, and if I have to hurt people to get it, I will because I value stuff, my rights, before I value people. So I can hate, I can bash, I can gossip, because I don't value people, I value stuff, I value mine. Now there's a way to disagree, but we don't have to do it in a way that we harm people, right? Anybody with me? Amen? Lean on that? Ouch, can't say amen, say ouch, right? Like, Scripture evidently says that people are, we'll get into this today, people are of, of extreme value to God. Extreme value to God. I got to keep moving here. We're running out of time fast. Whoa. God values people more than things quickly. We value tasks versus relationships. Scripture clearly says that relationships matter most, not the next task I have. The long term of building relationships. The centrality of God versus the centrality of ourselves maybe the most important is that scripture teaches that god is the focal point we are not and whenever humanity makes themselves the focal point we are headed toward fast disaster so let's read together genesis 1 26 through 31 reads If you will, stand with me this morning in honor of reading God's word, Genesis 1, 26-31. Says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. So every beast of the earth to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant of food. For food and it was so and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good and there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Father, as we look at this text this morning as we look at the whole scope of this story, God would you reveal yourself to us increasingly and Lord would you use me to do that at the best that I can by the power of your spirit I ask in Jesus name amen you can be seated. So as we look at this text, there are some things in this text that we want to pull out, and kind of before we pull it out, there's some back text here. Now, Genesis 1, this is the creation account. Now, there's actually kind of two sections of creation accounts in Scripture. Now, when I say accounts, there's not two accounts. There's, um, in Hebrew writing, it basically works like this. In Genesis 1, it's this large picture, right? It's this big scope of the creation account. And in this big scope of creation account, it gives the big brushstroke of the day by day of God creating the heavens and the earth. So in the day by day, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, light separating it from darkness. He divided the oceans and the sky. He gathered water so dry land would appear. He grew plants, flowers, trees, all with seeds so they could reproduce. He created the sun, moon, and stars, and then set the days and seasons into motion, and then he creates us. See, in, then in this, this is Genesis 1, this big picture story, and on the seventh day, God rested. And then in Genesis 2, what he's going to do is he's going to take this big kind of view, and then he's going to zoom in on that sixth day. And in Genesis 2, that zoom in is going to be the account of creating man and woman in his image and the distinctive nature in which they were created. So now there's this kind of thought out there that, that Christianity has two different creation accounts, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, if you've maybe heard that, maybe you've never heard that. I remember in college, I had a professor say that, and I was like, that's not true. I don't know why it's not true, but I don't know what to say right now, simply it's Hebrew writing. And the other is, is that it is a large picture and a very like, very zoomed-in version of that first creation account, which by the way, there is no discrepancy in either of those stories with one another. So in this, there's one creation account and it's found in Genesis 1 and 2. And in this one creation account, what we see is that God, right, creating us for his glory and for his grandeur. And what we do is we see that God is the creator of all things. Now, kind of to go back at this before we look at these kind of main points out of this text is, see, we, we live in a day, and I just mentioned all these biblical worldview kind of things of how our society kind of clashes against a biblical worldview. Well, in this, there was a George Barna study done, and this is another reason I want to do this whole story, is that there was a study done, and there was these kind of core things that, that are core to kind of orthodox Christianity, and, and here they are, um, these, these core things. Belief that, that absolute moral truth exists right? That there's an absolute moral truth that exists in our world, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful ruler of the universe, and he still rules it today. Salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. Satan is real. Christians have a responsibility to share their faith, and the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. So just those, like those are kind of these two. So there's research done on those seven points of how many evangelicals believed in these core truths, 7% of evangelicals believed in these core truths, and 52% of evangelical pastors believed in these core truths. So I believe that we live in a day more than ever where we have to look more intently at these things and discover, and I guess for me, the fear of this, there's fear is a word here, is the fear of this is that we we are departing from orthodox Christian faith altogether, in light of our culture, in light of our world, in light of the pressures upon us, because we are so smart that we will push away God and adopt our own ways of thinking outside of his very own word. So in that, Genesis 1, 26 through 31 helps us begin to create this baseline of a worldview shaped by the scriptures so we can view the world through the lens of God's glory or our own glory. And even in this account, this 126-31, what we can look at this and say, man, what did God do for me? Or we can say, man, what did God do? And we can look at in an awe and splendor of a God who made us. So the first thing that we see in this text is that we are created so if you're following with that, we are created, that there is a holy one far above us who shaped us and formed us. In Genesis 2, we see he, 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 he breathed life into us. The, the prominence of the creative act on the sixth day, God says, let us make man, meaning that there was a triune God, us, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We cannot take credit for this. We are not self-made, nor are we made kind of by the natural elements of this world that God shaped us and formed us in this world. You and I are not an entity in and of ourselves. We were made, created by God. Therefore, we have one who we owe and we answer to. I did not give myself life. God created us. Let us make man in my own image. Let us make man in our own image. And again, I would say this, don't miss the awe and wonder of this, that before you were, you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you, he shaped you, he formed you. It's amazing that God would shape us and form us and create us. And for us to deny this would be almost like this kind of Luke Skywalker moment, like this you are not my father kind of moment in life, right? Where we look at God and we say, nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe something else, by the way, which is by faith also, or believe that in this delicately shaped every one of us. I remember the first time, I, I, the first hospital visit I ever ever made, I walked into a room. There was a family weeping and crying. There was a girl. She was a University of Memphis cheerleader. She'd fallen off the top of the pyramid. She landed on her neck and broke multiple vertebrae. I remember standing in the room with the family, brand new pastor, never done any of this before, and they thought she was going to die. Now, Krista's alive, and she's good today. She's got some stuff fused together in her neck, but there was one little vein that was blocked that was causing pressure on her brain, and she was going to pass away because of it. Now, all of us have been around life a little bit to know our, our bodies are uniquely, uniquely shaped. One thing goes wrong and it's over. I mean, from I mean, and, and I know I'm not even like the smartest guy, but just for our brains to develop, to be able to articulate and to do things and for, for me to think and my hand moves and for me to do these all these crazy things. I mean, just put your hands in front of your face, move your fingers. It's amazing, right, that we were shaped and God created us in this way. So we are created. Second, we are image bearers. We are image bearers. See, we we are image bearers because his imprint on our lives brings significance to who we are. And so if you're looking, wanting significance in this creation story, and we'll see it throughout the scriptures, that God gives us more significance than anyone else ever could. That we are significant in this way, that we are image bearers. And see, our significance isn't isn't even innately in ourselves. It's in his imprint. So again, this isn't about us. This is about him. This is his imprint on our life. He says, let's make man in our image, which means built with the relational capacity with the divine. In our image, meaning that that we have an ability to have a relationship with God and this relational nature, the imagio Dei, this ability to experience a relationship with God unlike the rest of creation. You know, so it's like these things, like Disney did have it wrong, I'm, and I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, like I'm not sure all dogs go to heaven. I don't know what that looks like, but I know, that, I know that for us, we are unique and specific. We're different. We're made with a soul in a way that nothing else in creation was to be in relationship with the divine after our liken, likeness, right? In our image, after our likeness, this relational connectedness that we have with God. And it says, male and female, he created them. See, the unique nature of our distinctiveness stamped on us in this eternal DNA, the complementary nature of his creation, brings us dignity, it brings us relationships that complement and help us to express God not only to one another, but in worship to him and the distinctiveness he made us. So we are created. We are image bearers. We are commissioned. See, the first commission isn't in Matthew 28. The first commission is actually in Genesis 1. And in this commissioning that he gives us, his Again, this is the big point of scripture, and we're gonna see this throughout. His voice deserves obedience. Say that again. His voice deserves obedience. So he says, be fruitful and multiply, procreate, reproduce, fill the earth and subdue it take care of it and use it, right? So fill the earth, subdue it, take care of this world and use it. So this isn't some kind of like, like anarchy upon the earth. This is just like we're caretakers of, but we get to use it for ourselves from natural resources to all that God made in this world to help support us in life, right? That he says, go after this, use it. After so fill the earth and subdue it, take care of it and use it. Have dominion over every living thing, that we have dominion over all the elements. And it goes into specifics, like the fish, right? By the way, I caught a fish this week and it was really fun. And uh, this text told me that's cool. And so, so we, and I subdued it, right? And uh, I had dominion over it and it was delicious. And uh, so, so we have dominion over every living thing, that we have dominion over all the elements of this world. See, this is a fantastic distinction of humanity. It displays proof of our uniqueness and proof that God wants to use us in a very, very special way, unique to all of other creation in this world, meaning that we have work to do even when everything was right. right? In creation, there's there no, there no corruption. It's Peace. God and man are connected. And even in this kind of original intent, we have purpose. We have work. We have ways in which we live underneath the voice and the direction of God. I say this, and I'd say it over and over again the voice and direction of God deserves our obedience. Half obedience is disobedience. We'll see it throughout the story of Scripture. Late obedience is disobedience. But hearing his voice always deserves obedience because there is no other supreme voice in which we must listen to than his. So we see that we are created, we are image bearers, we are commissioned, and we are unique So we are unique as a whole, right? All of us together as a whole, we are unique and individually for his glory. All else in creation was good. So as he goes through the creation account, he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and it was good. Light was good. Ocean and sky, good. Waters and dry land, good. Plants, flowers, trees, good. Sun, moon, stars, good. Man. Woman, humanity, At the end of the day, he says, This is very good. Speaking to the distinct nature, and so he says, Behold, which every time you see the word behold in scripture, it should be this kind of one where your eyes open bigger, right? This this moment where everything becomes a little bit sharper. I need to pay attention to this. Behold is this kaza, right? It's this 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 word that kind of pops out on the page, and this this word is one who says, look at this closely, behold, it was very good. See, this is the, the, the distinctive marker of our uniqueness for his glory, is that God made us unique that we might glorify him and be the object of his fe- affection for all time and eternity. We are unique. So we are created, we are image bearers, we are commissioned, we are unique. And so in this, what we see in this original intent, and just so you know, this week is going to be the only week where we don't have kind of this kind of broken part of the story. I kind of tipped into it this morning, but but as far as Genesis 1, 26 through 31 goes, is everything is well. All is good. God made all of these things. It was wonderful. It was all good. It was all very good. God made everything perfect. There was peace and there was order and there was care and there was awe and there was wonder and there was glory and there was mystery and there was faith. And in all of these things, God made it all and man lived underneath his authority and his care, listening to his voice and living in his will, living in his peace. Hebrews 11.3 says it like this about faith. By faith, we understand what the universe was created that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, Hebrews 11.3. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So in this, by faith, (coughs) by faith we believe that God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. By faith, we believe that God is so powerful that he can create something out of nothing. By faith, we believe that we are his image bearers. And as we live our lives, we seek to glorify the one who made us and loved us in the simple act of creating us. Now, the bigger story, and we'll get into that next week, is there is a rebellion against him. And even in our rebellion, he loved us so much that he would send his unique and only son to die on the cross for our sins. And through repentance and faith, we can have a relationship with him. But see, in this big story, and in the beginning, God created everything beautiful, perfect, and at peace. And so might we, as we begin this journey of looking through the whole story, and we're going to come back to Genesis 1 multiple times as we go through this, as we look at this big story, might we never forget that we are created, each and every one of us in this room, we were created, that not only were we created, but we are image bearers, that the imprint of the divine is on us in a relational capacity unlike any other of creation, Might we never forget that we are commissioned. We have a commission under us today, but the original intent of commissioning was for us in community to care well for this world together. And may we never forget, may we never forget that we are unique, meaning a special object of God's affection with a purpose and a meaning in our lives individually and collectively together for his glory. I asked, I was with my my dad this week, and my dad taught me a lot about the Bible. And so we were sitting, I said, dad, I'm preaching on Genesis 1, 26 through 31. I said, what out of that text, what is something that you just think everybody should know? So here's a word from you from my dad, hopefully from God. He goes, Ryan, I think we've simply lost all and wonder, and he goes, if you could just tell people that they need to have more awe and they have, need to have more wonder of God in their life, because when we lose that, I think we just begin to focus on ourselves all the time. So I guess in conclusion today, do you have awe and wonder of the one who creates all things? Or have you lost that somewhere in your life? And maybe today, simply in response to this text, to what God has said, you just simply say, God, you are amazing. God, restore back in my life awe and wonder of you. And even in the things that I don't understand, I can't comprehend, maybe just simply say things like, God, You're far greater than what my mind can even think of. And in that, I am in wonder and awe of you. Let's pray together. Father, would you restore in us the awe and wonder of what you have done through creation. God, we believe that you shaped us and formed us, that you made us unique. And Lord, we believe that we were made for your glory and your will your good purposes. Lord, as we go through this series, Lord, would you, would you shape a worldview in us that sees our world through the lens of your scripture and our lives through the lens of your scripture. Our lives underneath your mighty hand and your power and your authority. Lord, restore to us awe and wonder for you. And in our awe and wonder, God, would you lead us to uniquely living our lives to bring you glory, the one who made us, shaped us, and formed us. Lord, your beauty, your splendor is beyond what we can fathom. One day, Lord, it will be a reality. We will see your splendor, your glory, your wonder but Lord, would you increasingly open our eyes to see it in this world. As you make us new in you, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.